for the last several weeks, we have been on the topic of prayer. We started uh, four weeks ago when, when school was starting, we were, we were praying for our students, our teachers, our schools, and what I consider to be America's greatest mission field, our, our schools. We then went to the next week and talked about why pray. What is it about us that we need to pray? And we begin to discuss some things of why we needed to pray. Last week, we talked about how do I pray and went through some very simple um, steps that we can use to apply to our life to help us to pray every day. And today I want to approach a subject that, frankly, is, is as difficult a subject as there is, and that is unanswered prayer. Why does God not answer prayer? From time to time, the way we would hope. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we are so very thankful that your presence is here. We feel refreshed already because we've just had an opportunity to express to you how precious your name is to us and the salvation that we enjoy. And Lord, as we approach this subject of unanswered prayer, I pray today, God, that These things which I felt you have laid upon my heart, you will give me adequacy through your Holy Spirit to explain them. That we would come to an understanding that sometimes there's a difference between your will and our will. And how these things are played out in prayer. I pray that through this, Lord, that you would help us to grow. Not only as Christians, but also in our prayer life. And be honored in everything, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. We were at a district council a couple of years ago when Dr. George Wood, our general superintendent, was speaking. And he he spoke and he gave an illustration that never left my mind. In fact, I thought it was quite funny. He said there was a brilliant nuclear physicist that was going on a lecture tour of America. He was being brought in by a number of different universities, and he agreed that he would do this tour on one condition. He said, because I don't know where I'm going, he said, I really want to be able to focus on the task that I'm asked to do. So would you please provide me a chauffeur that would stay with me the whole time we're there, drive me everywhere that knows where they're going. So I just simply don't have to worry about uh, any of that and, and the, uh, the logistics of it all. And they absolutely said, we can do that for you. So a chauffeur was provided for him and would drive him from hall to hall each night. And after they'd been on this tour for almost two weeks, it had been 13 straight nights that the chauffeur had dropped him off and had been listening to this. And as they got in the car after the 13th night, the chauffeur said, you know what? He says, I've, I've heard you give this brilliant speech. He says, you're a brilliant man and that's a phenomenal speech. He says, but I've, I've heard it so many times now, I feel like I could give that speech. And the scientist looked at him and said, you know what? Where we're going tomorrow, nobody knows me. Let's change clothes. You dress in my suit, I'll pretend to be your chauffeur, and we'll see just how good you've listened these last two weeks. And I want you to give the speech. The chauffeur said, I'm up for that. I would actually like to see what it's like to be treated like you for a little while. And so they agreed to try it, and the next university they came to, they had traded clothes, and the the scientist was driving the car, and he gets there, and he gets out and opens the door for the chauffeur, and the president of the university was there to greet him, and And said, we're so glad that you're here and came and introduced him to the crowd. And the chauffeur got up there and gave a brilliant speech. He didn't miss a beat. Everything right down to the most intimate detail was in that speech. And the crowd stopped and applauded. And he thought he'd pulled it off for the evening. And as he's turning to go, the president grabbed him by the shoulders and said, oh, no, no, no. He said, here at our university, uh, whenever we have a guest lecturer of your magnitude, we always let the floor open for questions. 
And a young student got up and asked a question that was so technical that it flew right over the head of the chauffeur. He couldn't even understand the vocabulary that the student was using. And he stopped there and he's listening to the young man give the question and he had begin to think, what in the world am I going to do? And as the question was coming to a close, he began to get his senses back. And he looked at the young man and he said, I can't believe that you would ask me such a simple question. Everybody in this room knows the answer to that question. In fact, it's so simple, my chauffeur knows the answer to that question. And I'm going to ask him to come up here and explain it to you, young man. So if there are any chauffeurs in here today that want to talk about unanswered prayer, I'm open for about anything. I want to share with you seven areas of response, and you can find an outline for this in your bulletin on one of the covers. Seven areas of response as it relates to why God doesn't answer my prayer. The first point is very simple. God answers all prayer. God answers all prayer. He simply says yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. I know it's a cliche, but it's also the truth. And there's really nothing further that I can add to this to make this point any more clear than it already is. God answers all prayer. Yes, no, or wait. So I present to you number two. We may never know on this side of eternity the answer to this question. And some of you are going, Pastor, we were hoping for better than this. I'm sorry you're dealing with me. Honestly, there are some things that take place in life that we simply will never have the answer for on this side of eternity. I'm going to be very, very transparent with you this morning. I have talked to some of you about my mom before in the past, and you know that my mom and dad were missionaries and served in various roles of ministry for almost 50 years. And during their time together, especially in the last missionary aspect that they were serving in, where they were being pastors to our missionaries in the European theater, my mom and dad had been missionaries to the point where they hadn't seen any of our children be born. They'd been away as, as Keith and Carol were born and growing up and hadn't been there for that. And I've told you before, when you're praying for our missionaries, there's, there's aspects of their life you don't understand, so pray for them and their families. But I remember the last two years of service as they were getting to a point where they were going to retire that my mom would begin to send me some rather lengthy emails as to her absolute joy at being able to retire and come home and be around her family, her children, her grandkids, and, and ultimately her great-grandkids. And I'd saved on my computer the last email that she sent me from Germany as they were loading up the last of the stuff in a crate that was going to be shipped to Springfield. And the very last line, she said, pray for me. I've developed this annoying pain in my side. I don't know if I've pulled a muscle, she says, but it's becoming increasingly annoying. It's just happened the last couple of days. So keep me in prayer that uh, we'll be able to finish this move. They got to Springfield, Missouri on their trip as they came back to retire to move into a brand new duplex that had been built that they were going to be living on one side of. They moved in, unpacked their stuff settled in, and the first night that they were there, this pain in my mom's side developed to the point where it was unbearable, and Sunday morning they woke up, and rather than going to church, they took her to the hospital. The doctor at the hospital had been one of their youth when they were youth pastors years and years before. Ran some tests on her, came back in, and had 
instructed my dad to call us as family that we might want to be there and told her that she was in the final stages of pancreatic cancer. She'd stayed in the house one night. She passed away 50 days later, having spent maybe seven or eight days in her own home as she had wanted to come home to retire. And I have to tell you that I had to very clearly deal with some issues of conflict between the sovereignty of God and my feelings regarding the fairness of God as it related to someone who, in my eyes, had done nothing but serve the Lord their whole life, and it didn't make any sense to me. And as I said, as a pastor, I was struggling with this thing. Lord, on the one hand, I'm supposed to be an example to people as to how to maintain faith and not have any questions because I'm a spiritual leader. On the other hand, I'm a son and I do not understand any of this. But I need you to help me to make sure that no bitterness grows in my heart over this issue that would keep me from being able to respond to everything that you have for me. And I had to ask him, why didn't you heal heal her? Why didn't you answer our prayers? It would have been a great miracle. You would have received the glory and it would have been a marvelous way for her to wrap up this missionary career, to see God absolutely bring healing to her. And I don't understand why you didn't answer prayer. I have some other friends whose father had pastored for years and after being very faithful to the Lord, went through a bout of bone cancer and he died from it. And it threw these kids, these young adults, for such a loop spiritually that they left the faith and haven't returned to the faith of Christ to this day. And I've wondered, Lord, why? Why do these things happen? And I think that likely we can all identify with things taking place in our life that doesn't seem to make any sense. Because we have this basic idea of what spiritual fairness should be as it relates to those that are wicked versus those that are righteous. But sometimes we have to remember that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There are things we simply cannot explain. And if you haven't been through a struggle of your faith where you don't understand why something is happening, I can tell you if you will walk with God for any length of time, there's going to come a time in your life and in your faith where you're going to be shaken and you're not going to know why something happened. And you're just simply going to have to rest assured that on this side of eternity, you may never know why God does or allows what He does or allows. But it's a question why and we do not know. We look in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. Very interesting passage of Scripture to let us know that we're not the first people that have ever gone through something like this. In Acts 12, it begins with verse 1. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Verse 2 said this, He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting him, they put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. We find an incident here where two of the top three apostles are in prison. First James, then Peter. The church is praying. And while they're praying, 
James is executed. Doesn't make any sense. What doesn't make any sense is you go a little farther and Peter is released. Why would James be killed and Peter released? Why the same church that is praying for both of these these men who are serving God and living in the will of God and doing everything they can, why does this happen? And the church there could not make any more sense of it than we are. We're also told in Acts chapter 7, we get an idea by watching history during the stoning of Stephen. We see ultimately that worked out for the greater glory because Saul of Tarsus was influenced by it. And ultimately he became uh, his conscience was so prompted by the spirit that when he encountered Christ, he responded to him. But with James, he's just gone. He's just gone. And we are never given a reason in Scripture why. I believe that our world is full of people today that are searching for one simple answer. And hope is held out that perhaps by some they they look in astrology or transcendental meditation or new gurus or new religious leaders to try to find the simple answer. And the longer I live, the more willing I am to come with terms to the fact that humans and trees both grow slowly. And sometimes, like trees, humans will have some scars of things they just can't answer. But we are required to trust in the Lord with all we have, even when it doesn't make sense. And so the answer to that question is sometimes you just have to be content in not knowing all the answers. And trust that since God is a trustworthy God, He knows things that we don't know and sees things that we do not see. And ultimately, when we stand before Him, He will give us an answer that will satisfy everything and we'll know all the answers. But there's going to be some things that happen in prayer that we just can't understand. Thirdly, the third response why God doesn't answer my prayer is God does not answer yes to some prayers because of the law of internal contradiction. What do I mean by that? I mean, God tracks our prayers and sometimes our prayers are inconsistent with one another. There are times that we pray for different things that God can't do all of the things that we pray for. So if the Lord is going to answer all of our prayers, he's going to have to decide on some occasions which one to answer no to and which ones to answer yes to. I read this interesting story about Augustine, the, the great fourth century church father. When he became a Christian, he was an educated pagan. He was well versed in the philosophy of his day and the morals of his day. His mother was a devout believer and she prayed continually for her son's salvation. And one day he came to her and told her he was moving to Rome. She begged him not to go to Rome. She prayed and sought God for him not to go to Rome. She thought Rome would corrupt him even more and prayed that God would do everything in his power to stop him from going. But he went to Rome anyway. And it was in Rome that he was reached for Jesus Christ. His mother had been praying, Lord, save him, but don't let him go to Rome. That was the law of internal uh, contradiction because he needed to go to Rome in order for the Lord to be able to reach him. Now, I don't know why I thought of this prayer in the terms of mothers, but I know that there are some mothers that pray all kind of things for their children as it relates to keeping them from different things. But sometimes, moms, not even you know what God is up to. With all of your intuition. I've seen moms and dads, because I've been one of them, that we just sometimes we weep when our kids go to college because they're outside of our control and our care. But yet it's sometimes in places like that that the Lord does miraculous and amazing things in their lives. God knows what he's up to. 
Maybe you've been like me and you've prayed, Lord, make me more like Jesus. And then there comes the opportunity to be more like Jesus and I ask Him to remove me from it. I told you I'm really being transparent with you today. I've done that. Lord, make me more patient, but don't put me in a situation where I have to be patient. Lord, make me more loving, but don't put people I don't like around me to to love them. Just give me the quality so I can say it's there and never have to use it. Any of you ever pray like that? Maybe this message was just for me. But there are times that we ask for something in contradiction. And the Lord says to us, sometimes he doesn't answer our prayer because of the law of internal contradiction. The fourth reason I want to present to you. God does not answer prayer is because of the law of external contradiction. This one is really simple. There's a beautiful weekend coming and the farmer looks at his fields and sees they haven't had any rain and he's praying for rain. There's a bride in the same town who's having an outdoor wedding. And she's praying on that same weekend. Oh, God, please don't let it rain. Whose prayer does God answer? These are contradicting prayers, externally contradicting. I love it when I went to a football game once from two Christian schools. Both of them have huddles at their end zones and they're both praying. Oh, God, help us to do the very best today. And if it be your will, let us win. Both teams praying. God, honor us by letting us win. And the Lord looks down and goes, how can I answer that prayer? It's contradicting externally. There's another application that we need to be aware of as it relates to externally contradicting prayer. And that is when we pray for somebody else's salvation. Think about this for a moment. Salvation for each of us required that we put down our will to the will of God. When we are praying for the salvation of others, we are praying that... Lord, overwhelm their will. And God will not do that. He will never run around the free will of any individual. When we pray, however, for salvation, it's not that we're not supposed to pray. But I would advise us that when we're praying for the salvation of others, that we would pray in such a way that they would be so overwhelmed with the presence of God that in the moment of conviction that they would yield their will to Him. Because I do believe that when we pray... That the Holy Spirit of God, while not overriding their will, will bring conviction to them that will allow them to know they need Him. Sometimes that's why He doesn't answer prayer. A fifth reason that God does not say yes to all of our prayers is because of the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect will not allow us to short-circuit the process God uses normally. For example, if you got up this morning and knelt beside your bed and said, Today, Lord, I want you to make me a millionaire. Obviously, the way to become a millionaire is to invest and to work hard and to not play games of chance so that you have to invest and work. But it's not done in 24 hours. It may take months and years and perhaps lifetime to work in such a way. God doesn't omit the cause of law or or the, the, the laws of cause and effect. God cannot say yes to our prayer to live forever. Sometimes when we're praying for people, we want them just to continue to live, you know, and it's not going to happen because there's a law of cause and effect. Sin brings death and therefore all of us have a judgment on us that's biologically a time bomb. From the moment we're born, we're getting older. 
And if you could see your faces as I'm looking around. I want you to know that Christians are the best looking people. Because you can tell those that have lived a hard life in the world. You can read it on their faces. There's something preserving about living a life yielded to Christ because you don't have to go through the scars that other people who don't have Christ have to go through. On the other hand, we are all getting older and it is appointed unto us once to die. It's going to happen because that's the law of cause and effect. But however, some of us are praying that we get to see the rapture. That we will be caught up in the air and our bodies will be translated there with Him. But sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers because of the law of cause and effect. Number six. A sixth reason that God does not say yes to some of our prayers are because those prayers are outside His will. How does a prayer get outside the will of God? Really, there's two things that we can say. Sometimes we are out of the will of God by asking it, and sometimes it's, not, uh, it's plain that God cannot answer that without doing something against His nature. What does the Scripture say to us about being outside the will of God and praying? We are out of His will in praying, number one, if we have unconfessed sin in our life. Psalm 66, 18 says this, If I have cherished sin in my heart... The Lord would not have listened. If there are aspects of your life where you know that you are living outside the will of God and you cherish that and you're hanging on to that and you're not willing to to submit that to the Lord, then it might very well be one of the reasons why God's not answering your prayers. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. God purposes us that we would come to Him in prayer and first seek a cleansing of our heart and that there would be the awareness of our mind of what we need to do to yield those areas of sin so that we can be pure before Him in presenting our prayer to Him. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, tells husbands to be considerate as they live with their wives and treat them with respect as as weaker partners and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And all the wives are over there going, did you hear that, bub? I want you to understand that this is not specifically gender specific, that this goes both ways and please, husbands, don't elbow her back. The indication of Scripture very clearly indicates that if there is something going on in your marriage, communication isn't where it should be. If you're holding grudges against each other, if you're out to hinder one another rather than help one another, that it may very well may be that that one is one reason why your prayers are not being answered. The Lord clearly tells us again and again that if we're out of sorts in our relationships with people, then we're really not cleared up in our relationship with Him. One of the ways to be an effective prayer is to look at the anger or the bitterness that is between you and another. And perhaps there are others in families, perhaps not. But the Lord clearly wants us to recognize that that is a hinder to our prayer. Another way we can be out of the will of God is by not asking in faith. James chapter 5, verse 15. 
The scripture says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well and the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Faith is a requirement of healing prayer. And I wish I could tell you exactly how much faith becomes actionable faith as it relates to God. I would love to know at what level we reach where the Lord says, oh, that's it. You've hit the mark. Boom, I can answer. But the scripture's not clear. In one aspect, it says that if we have the faith of a mustard seed, which is very tiny and very little, and basically just indicates that if we have the faith to even pray, we've attained that level. On the other places, there was times when the Lord says the reason you couldn't see demons cast out is because you didn't have enough faith. All of these seem rather confusing, yet it indicates to us that there must be an attitude that when we pray, we believe that God can do what we ask. If we're praying according to His will. But faith must be there. You must trust the Lord. Another way that would stand as a hinder to our prayers is if we're hypocrites. Hypocrisy can be a way that we're out of God's will. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we have this beautiful picture of two people praying. It says to some who were confident in their own righteousness and they looked down on everyone else. And Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and he prayed about himself out loud so that everybody could hear him. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers. And as he's looking around in his prayer, he goes, even like that tax collector. Oh, God, I'm glad I'm not like them. I fast twice a week. Did you hear me? I give a tenth of all I make. Yes, I tithe. You want to watch? But the tax collector, the scripture said, stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up into heaven. He was so humiliated. But he just kept beating on his breast. He said, God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this man rather than the other one went home justified. Before God, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you think you are somebody, you better think again. As we look at our world and those that are lost without Christ, how dare us as people that walk in relationship think that we are any better than anybody else? We are sinners saved by grace. And our prayers should be humbly presented before the Lord in such a way. Next, an unforgiving spirit may also keep you out of God's will. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15 says, But if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins either. I want you... To stop for a moment and think about the gravity of this particular passage. This one just arrests me every time I read it. That there is within your control. There is an aspect of your action that is going to determine whether or not God's sacrifice on the cross is going to work in your life. It's the aspect of forgiveness. 
And this is really, really hard for people. And I've had so many people say, but Pastor, you don't understand what they did to me or what he did to me or what she did to me that gives me every reason to hold bitterness and to not forgive them. You don't know. No, I don't know. But I know that his strength and his grace is sufficient. You see, bitterness and unforgiveness is the poison that you take hoping somebody else will die. And there will be people that will stand before God shocked that their sins were unforgiven because they couldn't let go of something that was done to them, thinking they were justified in it. When it says very clearly, but if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you. It could be a reason your prayers aren't being answered. Then also we must pray in Christ's name. John 14, 13 says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Now, this is not, so to speak, remembering to add the name of Jesus as a P.S. to every request you ever make. Just hoping it gets it gets done. Lord, I need all these things in Jesus name. I just want to put that stamp on there so that you can do this for me. That's not what that meant. But what it means is that we would always remember that when we are praying, we are praying that our character would be of the nature of Christ so that he be permitted to answer. And so these are the conditions the Bible puts on us in terms of praying in God's will. When we look at our own life, is there anything that's amiss? Is there anything going on that we need to be aware of? Number seven. The seventh reason we need to advance as to why God does not say yes to our prayers is that sometimes an answer might be delayed by hindering spiritual forces. Daniel tells us about this in Daniel chapter 10, and I have to admit to you that this is a very mystical passage. It's difficult to exegete. It's difficult to come to an understanding of all that's taking place here. And I can't even tell you that after studying that I know what all it means. But I can simply tell you that he prayed a prayer. And when the message gets through, the messenger finally gets through. It's 21 days later. And the messenger relates how he had been hindered in the heavenly realms in getting back with an answer. And as a result of this being there and as a result of Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, that says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and and authorities against powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms indicates to us that when we pray, there is a fight that goes on that we don't see. When we pray, we unleash the powers of God and the powers of heaven to be at work on our behalf against the powers of the demonic and the powers of the devil and evil that is against us in everything we do. While we don't see it, there is a battle that is being fought when we pray. And apparently it is such a fierce battle. Now, I want you to understand, greater is he that is with us, within us than he that's in the world. God is stronger than Satan. God will win. Jesus has overcome him. And because of that, we can overcome the world. However, do not for one second think that there's not a battle going on about you. I'm not one of these people that believes there's a demon behind every bush. But I do believe that we need to be people to understand that when we pray, there is a fierce battle that goes on and Satan is not powerless as it relates to your prayers. 
He's doing everything in His power to make sure that we don't have the joy of the Lord. He's doing everything in His power to make sure that God cannot come through for us. And if this happens when we pray, what do you think happens to those Christians who don't pray? If you don't pray, you don't have the forces of God at work constantly on your behalf. Now, I don't want you to go away from here this morning saying, Pastor Doug gave us a message on why God never answers prayer. That's not what I said. If you leave here thinking that, you will be damaging your faith if you go away with that impression. I want to say very factually and scripturally, here's what the Bible tells us of why God doesn't say yes to all of our prayers. There's reasons. He also says to go on asking, to go on seeking, and to go on knocking. In Luke 1, or 18, 1, there's a parable of a widow who beseeches a judge to correct this injustice which she has experienced. And Jesus said that she wouldn't give up in prayer until she drove him nuts. And he finally answered. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer is vital for the church. And if you were to see God answer yes, it's vital because there are many things that God withholds from us unless we pray. And we looked at that two weeks ago. I brought with me an illustration. I was doing some trimming yesterday of a tree. I hid those up here so you wouldn't know they're here. It's pretty good... That's called camouflage for us hunters. As I was doing some trimming of my trees yesterday, I discovered this branch that was, it was holding on by just a thread and it was kind of hanging down like this. And then there was this branch that I had to do a little trimming. And in one of those aha moments, now you can tell by this how, how deep I am mentally. I discovered it was really easy to pull this branch off the tree. It's a little harder working with this one. And because I had just finished typing up some notes, I had my mind thinking about prayer. And it began to dawn on me that, that if you are not tapped into the vine through prayer, your life quickly becomes like this. And as soon as the winds begin to blow, you just begin to snap. There's no strength. There's no life. Can't withhold anything. But... If your life is a life of prayer, you can withstand bending. You can withstand times when the wind's blowing. And I won't be able to do this with this stick next week. But today there's still enough life in it because of the flow that it's flexible. There's going to be times you need flexibility in your life. There are going to be things that take place in our lives that Without the strength of the Lord, we're just not going to be able to withstand. There's going to be times when we pray for loved ones and they don't get healed. And the Lord chooses instead to bring them into eternal healing in a time we don't understand and in a way we don't understand. And we're just going to be questioning, well, why? Why? But as long as you're a person of prayer, there'll be the flexibility that it won't kill your faith when the times of questions come. But if you remove yourself, then you are just a dead stick waiting to be destroyed. And today I just simply would like you to stand with me.
had so much more that I wanted to say, but I've said what the Lord wanted me to say. Maybe some of you are here and say, Pastor, I'm right there with you. I've had questions and I just, I don't know the answers to them. I've prayed and I've battled through some of that. And like I said, I wanted to be transparent to let you know there, there's always going to be times of life that we just can't answer the questions of why God didn't answer prayer. That's one of those times he says, just trust me. Does that not sound like a parent? When there's times you're looking at your kids and you know that you can't get into the explanation because it's going to go way over their head and you look at them and go, just trust me. They probably don't, but they don't have a choice. And so if those questions have been battling in your mind today, I just want to remind you in the word, just trust him. If there's things going on in your life and you begin to realize, you know what? Some of the reasons that my prayers aren't being answered could be because of the lifestyle that I've chosen. And there's some things that I have got to get right with God so that I have that free flow of communication. But we've done something the last two weeks and we're going to continue today. We've got a few minutes before 12. The chili will be out there. But I want to take five minutes. And if you're comfortable coming to the front, then I'm going to ask you to do that. If you're comfortable sitting where you are or kneeling where you are, then do that. But I want to take the next five minutes and just go to the Lord with some of the issues that He began to reveal to you during the time in the Word. It's one thing to be hearers of the Word. It's another thing to be doers. And so I'm going to ask as they sing that you just begin to come, find a place. But for the next five minutes, let's spend time with God. And just ask Him to reveal in our life anything that may be there that's hindering our prayers. And let's go before the Lord now.